Hello everybody, welcome to episode 29 of Drop the Needle in the Haystack, a podcast where we use the Forgotify web app to take a listen to tracks on Spotify that have never been played before, and then we talk about them. And I'm Ravi, as always, and I'm joined by my hosts, also as always, Eric and Matt. Say hello, boys. Hello, boys. Hey, Robbie. <laughs> that guy's a kidder. <laughs> that guy's a kidder. <laughs> Never gets old. Anyway, Robbie, I hear you're feeling pretty bad today. Can you no. tell us why? Oh, boy, Eric, I am feeling pretty bad today. Because let me tell you, that second vaccine dose, it's a doozy. It oh, is wait. a doozy. That might be me next week. Because if I think about it, okay, I'm going to get it. I'm getting it at like 9.30 in the morning on like Wednesday. So I'm nice. going to have the whole day to feel like trash, probably. I didn't, yeah, I didn't feel bad until the night of, in the middle of the night after I'd gotten it. Okay. That was the same for me. I'll probably feel terrible on Thursday, but let's see. Let's just see what happens. Yeah, I think it takes a little bit to get into your system. And then once it does, my, oh, my dad, it was bad for me. My dad just like took a little nap and he said he was fine. But I heard it's like, for people around our age, since our immune systems are younger, uh, we like tend to have a stronger response to it. Or right, something like it's because my immune system is so good and strong and sexy. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> oh, With all of the coffee and not vitamins <laughs> that I put into my body. <laughs> yeah. No, my dad didn't have any problems either. So mm. That's interesting. Yeah, my 82-year-old grandpa had no problems at all. So... No, it's what the person who administered my first dose said to me. He's like, younger people tend to have like a stronger immune response to that it. That makes sense. Which it's like counterintuitive, but I guess it makes sense. But yeah. yeah. Well, very glad to get it though. Very happy to finally get the second dose. For real. Shall we get into some music though? All right. We so, shall. Yes, let's do that. Matt, take it away. You're first. All right. I. I'm very excited about this week's selection. I had a little bit of a hard time finding um, anything really worth listening to. I kept getting a lot of, you know what I got a lot of this week? Um, and I've noticed this a little bit in our past selections. There's a crap ton of songs that are titled Breathe or something. Yes. Have you noticed that? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of punk or soft rock kind of things where it's like, Breathe, just breathe, breathe in, breathe out, stuff we, like yeah, that. Yeah, we even had one, didn't we? Have just. I think breathe? we we've had like two, I think, but I got a whole bunch this week. Um, but anyway, so this song is about uh, where I grew up. This is called "Long Island Girl I Am," and it's it's just a perfect little. I hope's very self-aware spoof of of like Long Island stereotypes. So I'm gonna let like the first thirty seconds play, and we could talk a little bit about some of the the insider jokes here. Man, this is this is perfect in every way, all around. So, okay, okay. 
first i loved the spoken uh intro that like happens over and over again throughout this this song both between the girl and the guy and it it's just great i mean did you guys i don't even think you need to have actually watched it but like you know our generation is very aware of the jersey shore right sure and like the jersey shore is just chock full of actually actually long island accents because i think some some like half the cast of the jersey shore isn't even from jersey it's about long islanders going to party in the jersey shore which is like why there's a beef and like a bad reputation and everything um i see yeah i had a cousin who who actually i think when he started out his job as like a as a cop he like occasionally had to patrol that area and he hated it because of the jersey shore (laughs) i would believe that but this is like one of the most stereotypical long island accents that you could even like make up the whole hey yo gloria and then like <laughs> right later... i like the way he says that gloria yeah, yeah. and then later when she's doing her like little monologue part and she's like and you know what tommy says to me and like the, the nasality the whole thing you know and like the the usage of 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 he says to me that's like that's my entire family talks like this and it's super funny because like my dad my dad's like a real jerk about grammar and like proper grammar proper pronunciation and stuff when i was like seven years old he's like no 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 matthew you can't say on accident it's by accident and then i was that i was that smart ass little kid on the playground being like actually it's by accident you can't say on accident <laughs> and, what a little uh, twerp but like my dad if he's around his family it's like all out the window he's like and then you know what you know what peter says to me you know what you know what tony says to me it's like it's like the most stereotypical like brooklyn italian stuff and in the first line she says i'm just a girl from mineola like i drive past that town all the time it's like very uh like brooklyn and queens adjacent geographically on long island yes this is perfect and i think this is from 1987 and right off the bat it's like i don't know footloose uh cindy lopper a little bit right kind of like girls just want to have fun yeah that kind of very that kind of that synth sound is very yeah exactly the synth sound right away once it gets into the chorus and like uh what else did i say bruce springsteen kind of stuff or even early billy joel because billy joel's from long island he's like pride of the island basically so is that so really i it's between him and bruce springsteen right it's like you gotta are you a springsteen guy or are you a billy joel guy is that true or it has popular culture led me astray i i would say it's probably if you wanted to make it a joke i don't think anyone really cares but it would probably be comparable to like the fun-hearted rivalry between the islanders and the rangers maybe for new yorkers from long island uh, um when did they make you join a side matt when when did they like sit you down and say matt are you a joel guy there's or are two you, kinds uh... of people in this world matthew <laughs> I thought you were going to say about the Rangers or the Islanders because I've been a I've been indoctrinated into Rangers fandom like since I was a kid. My dad had the Stanley Cup like Rangers uh, 1994 thing up over my bed like <laughs> before I think yeah, before making they sure even, you wake up to that every morning. Right. Yeah, like before I even probably like got in the U.S. They, I think, they had like prepared my childhood bedroom with like a. Uh, the Stanley Cup penny for the 1994, the year they won, was the year I was born. Sure. So it was it was very special to my dad, and I, I remember wow. like the the what's the thing that goes around the ceiling? It's not 
Molding? Crown molding? Yeah, molding. The crown molding had uh, hockey players in different, like, poses. <laughs> so That's funny. No, did you I ever play hockey? Uh, like, never, actually. But I was always really good at, um, in gym class, when we would do, like, field hockey. Or, or like, street street hockey, whatever you want to call it. Did um, you go ice skating? I can ice skate. It's just, like, you know, okay. ice hockey is a very expensive hobby sport. Uh, I was okay. very interested in it, but I never, like, actually pursued it. I played soccer. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, this is... This is just so funny. Like, I can't believe this exists. Unfortunately, I can't find anything else about Below 14th Street Pop 3. Like, that's the name of the group. I, I can, like, find the album on Amazon. They have a little bit more on their Spotify page and uh, not much more about them. This this is, like, a perfect Long Island spoof song. Because if you are from Long Island and you listen to the rest of the song, it, like, just gets funnier. And the whole thing, it's so, like, comically exaggerated. I mean, even you guys who, like, don't get the jokes, we're having a, a good laugh right off the bat from this. Oh, of course, we've all seen The Nanny. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we all know. We can all appreciate it. I'm trying to think of other, like, famous Long Island things. Uh, there's that thing. It's like the... She talks to ghosts. Uh, the Long Island Medium. Yeah, the Long Island medium. Of yeah, course. she has she has a real Long Island accent. Like, what's her it's name? Decree a... Teresa oh. Caputo. Yeah, yeah, Caputo. I there were like ten Caputos in my high school. Hmm. Were they all mediums? How... Nah. Aw, oh, dang. <laughs> how, uh, Matt? How different is Long Island from Staten Island? Like, is that a very big culture shift, or are they similar? I'd say even Staten Islanders will say that it's just like. If you distill all of the grittiest, grimiest, grossest essences of Long Island, then nice. you get Staten Island. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, Sign true. me up. How would you live there? Staten Island is so it's so trash. I hate Staten Island. <laughs> Such a dirty, grimy island. I, I just Bobby likes the grime. Yeah. Yes, I, cover me in Staten. I hate Staten Island. I tried going through Staten Island as a detour because the city traffic was really backed up. I ended up way later and paying like twenty more dollars in tolls, so like it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. That's funny. Huh. Okay. Well, today I learned. No, it's a funny track though. I had a, I had one question. Maybe one of you can educate me. Um, what is what instrument is producing that kind of like stuttering or almost reverberated like bass line? I like I don't know how to describe oh. it. It's prob it's probably just like a synthesizer, like yeah, a synth bass. Yeah, really? Okay. Probably just a synth bass because like that's how you can get that attack so consistent. Okay. I wasn't sure if someone was just like really precisely slapping something. I don't probably know. Probably someone could do it, but Yeah, probably. But I think like again, in the eighties, people were just like so obsessed with the I don't know the way that you could manipulate synthesizer sounds that sure. like almost an unnecessary amount of instruments were just replaced with synths just makes to see sense. if we could yeah like just because they could and i think that's what makes this sound like so 80s the synth like keyboard sounds the synth bass and um what's the name for that technique they use on that that uh snare drum robbie do you remember 
I do not. Is it like it's just like super compressed or something? Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, it's it's that kind of sound. I don't know the the name of the the technique, but yeah, it's got like that splashy kind of sound to it. Yeah, it's like the Phil Collins uh, snare drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, even that specific synth sound has been on yeah. like several hits. Jump, you know, that's the same sound from the yeah. Bump, bump, bump. And so, I'm thinking of uh, the opening to what is it, "Angry Young Man," which is a Billy Joel song, of course. Of course. Or or even uh, you know what, the Who, the Who, definitely right. Right. I don't know. I don't know why this specific synthesizer sound so captured everyone's imagination. It seemed to my ear, it's always been a little aggressive, but it's because it's like really powerful. It was probably very good for like the stadium rock of like the time sure. too. You know, it like it really cuts through. It has a great attack to it. That's true. That's true. Um, and to to like I don't know to wrap up discussion on Long Island. I just remembered my favorite thing anyone's ever said about it. Uh, do you guys know the composer Chris Cerrone? Can't say I do. I don't think so. He was um, Doctor Putz was at Peabody. Doctor Putz was on sabbatical for like the year, so they brought in two people to kind of like uh, sub for his studio, and Chris Cerrone okay. was one of them. But also, um, a lot of people were playing his music in like the past five years at Peabody, and I didn't know actually that he's a Long Island native, just like me, and he was giving a like little guest lecture and seminar about like one of his pieces. And he said it was like using sounds from like parts of Long Island. And he's like, and for those of you who don't know, uh, Long Island is basically just a, a cultural wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, the only reason people think Long Island has a culture is because it's adjacent to New York City, which is 100% true. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Because, like, New York City is a cultural hub, obviously. And people think that bleeds out onto Long Island. But, like, really, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. That's what I would assume, you know, being in such close proximity. There's, like, nothing to do on Long Island. Like, nothing at all. Nothing worth doing. (laughs) Wow. You could go out with Tobby Viola. Yeah, right. And his Toyota Corolla. That's even even funnier. Because, like, we had a Toyota Corolla, uh, I think... I learned to drive on a Toyota Corolla, actually. It's a rite of passage. It was just like the Long Island car, either the the Honda Civic or the Toyota Corolla. And like the joke about the Trans Am, I think my mom said that like, you know, like, oh, when I was younger, I used to date this like nice guy who had a Trans Am. It was like the most beautiful car I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. All right. Should we... uh... Yeah, let's let's end the discussion on Long Island and move on to our next song. Is that you, Robbie? Are you up next? No, you're up next. Am I up next? Okay. Well then, uh, we are listening to "Going Home," which is a single by Eratikora. I think I'm pronouncing that right. It's spelled E R O, capital T. It's all one word. Capital T I C O R A. So part of me wonders if it's like Eratikora, but you know, I doubt it. I doubt mm-hmm. it, you know, um, or if there's like some emphasis I'm missing. Anyway, I couldn't really find anything out about this. There's apparently a Facebook page, but when I clicked on it, it said that the page never existed. Looking <laughs> at <laughs> X-Files <laughs> theme. <laughs> or that it doesn't exist anymore. I'm not sure, but. Well, Eric, uh, that is a very big difference. 
Eric. Okay, all right. But anyway, from the like uh, Google preview, I can see Eratikora from Oslo, Norway. So that's really all we have to go on, is that this band is probably from Oslo, Norway, but who can say? I, I, I can't. I don't know. at all. But anyway, why don't we listen to, I think we're going to 110. I think that is. All right. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of really nice things happening. Um, it gave me, I mentioned this earlier, major Frozen vibes, and it's just before Frozen came out. It also sounds a bit like the product of the time. It's from 2012, though for me, I can't really place the band, but you guys mentioned uh, a band earlier. What was it? I mentioned Imogen Heap, specifically uh, just because of like the... The vocoder or talk box that takes uh, the like lower harmony line in that in that chorus. Yeah. So how does that work? How does that talk box work? Does she have to record it twice, or does it happen concurrently? Uh, well, a a talk box is a physical um, is is like a is a piece of hardware that you connect either to a synthesizer or to a guitar that you have to physically play the instrument and you shape it. Um, by you know talking into that tube and you shape it with your with your voice that's um like if you know um california love or or zap um really famous for for doing that but vocoder is kind of similar but from what i can understand and i might be incorrect but i think vocoder is just anytime they they use the you know a, a, an effect to 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 put a melody line or to like they they have a pro the computer process the effect or, or something like that okay think, so it could be either where yeah. it's like yeah i okay. think this is a vocoder um because i've seen live performances with vocoders and this just seems more like it uh i think the two probably most famous uh songs that use vocoder are uh mr blue sky in the court in like the bridge section and uh yeah, that song I mentioned by Imogen Heap. Uh, it's called Hide and Seek. And I actually watched a video of uh, Jacob Collier doing like a live performance of it. And he used a vocoder because that's how she does it. And um, it's it's pretty cool. You just have like a little microphone that goes into a little synth and creates an effect like a robot voice. And whatever keys you're pressing, it like auto-tunes those, to those keys. Okay. Yeah. And that's I think cool. that's what's going on here because like all of the words match up perfectly and it's probably not like a pre-recorded track that she's singing over. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So oh, yeah, right. what do you guys think in general though? Yeah. Before I forget, I wanted to say why this reminds you of Frozen and I just realized it now. Mm -hmm. um, this reminds you of Frozen because it's the same chord progression as Let It Go. It's like the super stock standard what is that the, the one five six four chord progression until like the very okay. end it does something that robbie and i liked right uh towards like the 150 mark but otherwise it's the same progression that makes sense all right yeah. 
Yeah, well, what I mentioned before, um, and kind of to Matt's point, is that you, when you listen to it, there's a lot of it that sounds like, or, or in many ways it sounds like a very traditional kind of piano-y pop ballad sort of, um, you know, songwriting. But there's just these weird elements to it, like, you know, the, the, the vocoder effect in, the, in that harmony, and then some of the, um, you know, the later chord choices like Matt mentioned. Um, so there's just some interesting turns to it that kind of uh, keep you on edge when you're listening. Well, not maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, but there's... <laughs> Capture your attention, maybe. Thank, thank you, Eric. Keep you what? on edge. Fuck, what's going to happen next? What were some songs uh, like this around 2012? You know, I'm trying to remember. I think, didn't, like, Rihanna had a ballad? This was 2012. It was, like, right when I started college. So, like, what was that Say Something song? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah it was like say something i'm giving up on you it became a meme kind of right uh, oh yes yes Ooh. and a lot of songs by the fray right because they had a pianist oh that's right how to save a life yeah yeah but this doesn't that's ever true. get into like anything harder at least not during this audio sample there's not even like the entrance of a drum or like a guitar or anything it's quite no it's this quite is pretty fair. much it for the whole track yeah yeah, yeah. and there's that's unusual yeah no there's something about just how exposed it is and plus those electronic effects, it's kind of a stark contrast because in many ways it is very stripped down, right? It's just the piano, but there's the processing on, you know, the, the melody that sort of adds a different color to the sound than you might expect on a song like this. Yeah. It's also worth, I think, considering like how different the piano accompaniment is from like a lot of other piano solo pop ballad, right? Like it's usually a bit more blocky kind of strummy but this is kind of just like steady arpeggios like the whole way through right yeah it's yeah. it's it's yeah it's pretty simple pretty pretty parsed and it doesn't really have you know like a hook or, or or like some kind of melody built right into the accompaniment it's all really focused on just supporting the the, the voice yeah and overall i think the voice is really nice i think it she does just enough embellishment or takes just enough interesting turns in the melody to keep grabbing your attention on top of the, yeah, other effects, the voice coder and um, other chordal stuff. Definitely. You could definitely imagine a version of the song that is much more boring, much less adventurous, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, I think that just goes to show something we, we talk a little bit about sometimes, that it doesn't really even take a whole lot sometimes to, to you know, elevate something or to really turn a song or, or a bit of music that maybe is not so engaging to something that is engaging. Sometimes the line is really thin and it's just like the littlest things can make a huge difference. Sure, it's important to remember. Anyway, I just thought it was kind of nice and I think we all kind of agree. Yeah, oh, I had a little point that we could edit out but uh if it's getting too lengthy on this song but it just occurred to me another thing that vocoder harmony doesn't it, doesn't it kind of remind you of like the kind of harmony you'd hear in like kind of country singing mm, how do you, you know what i mean i think think of like a carrie underwood where in the chorus they mm -hmm. get a duet and yeah. for some reason in a lot of country songs i noticed that they use oblique motion in their harmony where like one person sings a steady not moving around too much lower pitch while the other person sings the more interesting melodic line above it right and i think that's like a characteristic of that style 
and it was kind of cool to hear that here. I think I could hear it. Yeah, I think I can uh, see what you're saying there. Pick up what you put down. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. That's my last little thought on that song. Sure, that's good. All right, should we move on to Robbie then? Yes, move on to Robbie. It's me. I'm Robbie. My track is is called Soldier, and it's from an album called No and the Maybes by a band called No and the Maybes. And they are a uh, alternative rock band that are based in Denmark. Looks like that this particular album was released on the Alarm Music label and that it, you know, uh, topped the number one or it got to the number one spot in the alternative radio charts in Denmark. So some uh, success in their home country. But I had a little bit of trouble finding a lot of stuff uh, about them uh, in English. And it looks like maybe they haven't been so active since... uh, since the early 2010s, this album came out in 2009, and this interview I, I'm reading that's from that's where I'm getting most of this information is from 2010. So I don't know. Hopefully they're still out there because I, I really like a lot of their stuff. So we'll be listening to their track at about the 30 second mark. Just from that uh, 30 second bit, you can hear a lot of uh, contrast, certainly. This song goes to some interesting places and it's sort of hard to uh, predict, really. And I think, from what I can understand from their interview, that seems to be sort of in line with their creative ethos because, um, you know, I'm reading the interview and I would like to read this one section. Uh, The interviewer asked for people that have never heard of you, give us reasons why people should. Uh, and the band replies that Knowing the Maybes is really about wrapping a bit of catchy music into a thought-evoking overcoat. Catchy and artsy don't fight in Knowing the Maybes. They seem to be attracted to each other. And I think I can really appreciate that, that like I mentioned to the to guys before the show, that sort of reminds me of what our, our friend of the show, James Edge, was talking about with uh, his compositions, sort of taking some of these pop elements or these uh, electronic elements and... Um, Kind of writing some songs that are, you know, a little hard to predict like this. Yeah, that chorus absolutely did not go where I thought like this song was going to go. Because you're right, during the first bit of the song, it's just kind of vamping around this very loose tonality this like weird harmony that you and i were like it's kind of diminished it's like flirting back and forth between just like minor and these these like weird unconventional harmonies right it's so strange it's very strange i think that makes the chorus make a lot more sense though because it's it's like a big resolution finally you know you're off of this unsteady tonal kind of area into again something completely different and that that was why i liked that transition i think yeah, I, I think it's certainly, you know, it, it, it's maybe not a conventional transition, but there's, I think there is, a, you know, it's a tricky needle to thread doing something like that. Or, or anytime you make a really big decision, 
you know, I guess creatively, like, oh, let's start with a strange vamp on this sort of really out there chords. I think it's, it, it's very easy to go wrong or like it gets away from you. But I think, yeah, I agree. I think they manage it with the transition to the chorus there. So the first time we listened to this before, you know, doing the show, I think I was just so off caught off guard by like what Matt said, that it doesn't go at all where I was expecting it to go. So I was having a hard time really grasping the music. But now on the second listen through, something about the melody really caught my ear and reminded me actually of the Foo Fighters. And specifically um, the main melody from Learn to Fly. Do you guys remember that song? I don't know if I do. I'm not yeah, well versed. It's, I'm not saying it's the same melody, but it does remind me of it. And it's like if they slowed it down, maybe. Why don't we put switch... it on? Okay. Yeah, like what? we could just like edit the finding it part, and we can find like the spot you're thinking of. And yeah, what's the what was the song? Um, learn to fly. You know what I think it is. You know what I think it is. I think it's that uh, it's a kind of Lydian sound. There's like a yeah. sharp forward the going that goes back and forth that, that and i is... also you're right yeah i i think it's that and i also think it's the structure of the phrase can we go back and listen to that spot one more time sure what is it about uh 40... and sorry not not in learn to fly but in the uh, the track that oh it's Roger. yep like maybe maybe like a minute well 40, yeah, you're right. wherever we song. started Okay, I see what you mean. Da, da, da. It's not it's not the same and I'm not even saying it's necessarily close, but there's something about it that that's immediately what came to mind. I think we're hearing three immediate similarities. Um the melody descends and yep. during its descent, Robbie's right. It occasionally hits a sharp four and a flat seven. Cause the this is a Shit, what, what scale is this, Rob? It's the Mixo... The Lydian, the Lydian Mixo. Yeah, where it yeah. uses both the sharp four and the flat seven, right. which is a super common rock scale. When did you say the song's from? Uh, this one is No and the Baby. Yeah, oh, what, what year? 2009? Or, or when? Yeah, 2009, 2009. Yeah, that's only like 10 years apart from that Foo Fighters song. And like Foo Fighters, they're pretty, I wouldn't say strictly, but classic rock, right? You know? Yeah, they're classic rock, and I feel like it was around this time that I became aware of this song. You know, not that I would be listening to the Foo Fighters as a six-year-old, but they were certainly, I feel like they were hitting a new level of popularity when I was in high school. Yeah, and uh, I think the guitar effect, it's a kind of clean, not super distorted, and an open strum pattern, right, where you can kind of hear each string as it gets articulated. Yeah. Yeah, those things really do draw certain similarities you're right but it, it just occurred to me that like you know this is alternative danish rock right is that what we classify or they classified themselves as That's it. and so it wouldn't surprise me if you know they had this kind of not saying that they listened to learn to fly and then we're like let's do this but make it way slower and you know like change the vibe you know but 
having that kind of sound in their ear and then you know if like matt said um it's a common scale you know just you begin to hear the similarities i don't know i think that's fair i think that's isn't, fair isn't like dave Grohl like a really good guy don't people like really like dave Grohl for some reason from what i've heard he's a pretty stand-up guy it's i mean nice. yeah <laughs> Wait, why? Like on the he Wikipedia seems like a page? wholesome guy. I think. Why on the Wikipedia page for the Foo Fighters it says also known as the Holy Shits? I, that's I a good know. bad name. Oh, they get this. They performed a secret show as the Holy Shits in an abandoned train tunnel. <laughs> that's uh, like in 2014 wow. or something. That's really funny. Like Can you imagine show. your friend just being like, "Hey, let's go see this band tonight in an underground abandoned." Train oh, tunnel. They're they're called the holy shits, and it's actually the Foo Fighters. Yeah, how do you Man. get people to that? Come to this abandoned train tunnel to hear to hear this band you've never heard of play. I feel like they're mu- like they had to invite people saying we're playing tonight. Just like bring your friends, you know. But speaking of good band names, I really like knowing the maybes. The one thing that I wonder is does this imply like some side maybe spin-off group? Like the yes and the maybes, you know. How how could we change this around? The yes ands. I don't know. The yes and no maybes. The... I don't know. It's just a good band name, right? We've always yeah. seen like the blank and the blanks, and this one's very right. clever. There's something about it that I really like. Yeah, no, it's satisfying. It's a satisfying name. I think that's you can hear lot. Andy Dwyer saying, "Oh, that's a good band name. I gotta write that down." Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the list of like um band name was it that they kept changing the name of the band right yeah they kept changing the name of the band because he always thought of a better name and then it would always go back to mouse rat i love that you can find that list like online or something you know yeah if you go to the wikipedia page you see like all 30 names or whatever scarecrow boat uh (laughs) five skin or something like that (laughs) (laughs) rat mouse Alright, well, is this, I think this is all I've got for this track. You guys got anything else? I don't think so. It was a good find, Robbie. Yeah. Alright. guess that takes us to the part of the show where we talk about what we listened to this week. Who yes. wants to start? I can, I can start, because mine is something that I've been hammering home, like, all month. And, um, yeah, so I've mentioned it a few times. Porter Robinson's album came out. I have been a huge fan of Porter Robinson for, like, years now. And this album is just great. I think I had mentioned on a previous show, like, he pre-released five tracks from this album or something. And I was like, oh, I really hope that it's not just, like, you know, these five tracks plus, like, two more. It's, like, a full-length 14-track album. Nice. I skipped. Sorry. But, yeah. It's a super great uh, full-length 14-track album. And I really particularly like uh, this this track called Blossom. It's like towards the middle or end end of it, and I just think it's great. Like his style is super consistent throughout, and that's it's just an awesome album. Go check it out. Well done. Sounds good. What'd you listen to, Robbie? This week I returned to an old favorite, the the Mingus album, The Black Saint and the Sinner Lady, which is one of his sort of masterworks, one of his famous compositions. Um, uh, it's kind of divided into four tracks. It's really one continuous piece of music, but it's kind of divided into different uh, dance sequences. It's partially like a ballet. So you've got track one is the solo dancer, track B, track two is 
the duet solo dancers and then it sort of has different breakdowns like that but it's you know really um phenomenal orchestral writing especially in in, in the jazz idiom so black saint and lady definitely worth listening sounds cool um this week i listened to an album i haven't listened to for a really long time it's called dragon's tongue by robert spring um robert spring is a clarinetist primarily known for doing contemporary works out at i think he's at arizona state university he's been the professor there for like 30 or 40 years basically his whole career um but matt you've probably heard his name just because he's performed so many new works he's been like the champion of new music for his entire career i actually don't know the um, name. i think i think you would be you'll now that i've said it you'll begin to see it places yeah probably right yeah yeah you'll be oh you'll be like oh that's that guy um but he's like really well known in the clarinet community for being able to do insane feats of like technical strength you know like double and triple tonguing and he's been able to do that since the 90s before it was you know even like remotely commonplace in the clarinet community and multiphonics and circular breathing and you know do you think that stuff's getting more and more like you know that still floor kind of rising thing oh it definitely is so it's like, like you know we've talked about 16 it, but... year olds 14 year olds that like learn it now commonplace you know like uh when i learned oboe it was still like oboists just don't really like double tongue right right and i think even a while ago like bassoon double tonguing was pretty new right yeah bassoonists used to not double tongue and now they can do it and now like it's pretty much standard, like, on certain Beethoven excerpts, you pretty much have to double-tone this, right? Beethoven and, 4, yep. Yeah, and now, like, uh, when, I, when I was in, like, the end of college, I think my senior year, I had a TA be, like, oboe for uh, music education majors. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my teacher was like, you know, a lot more people are, like, double-tonguing now. And I think a lot of teachers are teaching their students to double-tongue from, like, a young age kind of yep. like an experiment to see if this next generation of oboists if they like start young can like get it and develop it yeah i can't i've tried i've like sat down and dedicated like during college probably a month to trying to learn to double tongue yeah. i just like can't do it it took me if i'm being honest it probably took me three years before i had a double tongue where i felt comfortable enough to use it in a performance wow yeah it took a very 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 long time but you know that being said like i've literally seen there was like a video that made the rounds and like all the clarinet you know forums and groups and whatever of like this either 12 or 14 year old yeah like of this 12 or 14 year old who can double tongue like like better than like anyone i've ever heard do you think it's and that's uh, just like that's just where it's going i think you know do you think it's set up uh specific like you need a certain kind of read or something yeah, it can't be too hard. You can't Eric, have can like. Can you tell everybody what is double tonguing? What's that mean? So double tonguing, like normally when you articulate on a reed or mouthpiece or like any kind of reed instrument, your tongue briefly touches the reed, and this stops the reed from vibrating, and it creates um, just a a very minute break in the sound, and that's what we consider articulation, um, and that can be defined usually by saying like d d d d d d d or t t t t t t t like that's the kind of motion your tongue is making as it taps the reed repeatedly 
Um, but double tonguing is where the front of your tongue hits the reed, and then the back of your tongue creates a second break in the air by closing off the roof of your mouth. And that can be defined as like saying digi, 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 di. So if you practice saying that at home, digi, digi, like with a G sound on the second syllable, you'll notice that the front of your tongue hits your teeth on D, and the back of your tongue kind of closes off the roof of your mouth on gi, digi. And so by saying that very, very quickly, you can articulate very, very quickly. Digi, 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 di. Digi, 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 di. Digi, 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 You know, that kind of syllable. But it effectively lets you articulate about 1.5 times faster than probably your max single articulation speed. Yeah, I just wonder where that skill floor is going. Like, how ridiculous is it going to be in 10 years, you know? There will be people in 10 years, like, articulating twice as fast as was acceptable, like, 20 years ago. Like, we'll get to triple-tonguing, and, like, people will be articulating 16th notes at, like, 240. <laughs> it'll just be what it is like it'll be insane and that'll be like almost it won't be the standard but it'll be what our new like top of the top of the field professionals will be able to do man at the risk of getting now super off topic and like super nerdy and like we can cut this from the podcast or whatever i can't help but like compare this to skill floors and other things like fighting games mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like robbie i think you and i are both into fighting games and it's like if you look back at like i don't know 10 years ago in fighting games or speed running communities yeah like communities that are constantly trying to innovate to the like the microsecond things that were really hard or impossible are now like standard practice in, right. in like those communities and it's like oh yeah you know like this 14 year old kid at your local smash tournament is going to be able to like do frame perfect wave dashes like from the from the ledge and it's like people just weren't doing that 10 years ago <laughs> Yeah, I guess part of it is just uh, the inno- <clears throat> oh, pardon me, the innovation, the discovery, right? Once you do that, it's like, I don't know, I, I guess that's the reason innovators are so, that's such a distinction for someone. It's like, this is a whole new way that no one else has even really thought about doing before. Yeah, and you know, I, I wonder what'll come next, because uh, I think the next big thing, there's like a second way of double-tonguing, where it's like, kind of called doodle-tonguing, I guess. Well, yeah, a terrible name, but like it I mean, I guess it makes sense because you're kind of going like doodle 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 doodle. Like you're you're moving your tongue up and down like in a vertical motion. Like and Yeah, you guys got it. But you can do that and while you do that, you can still circular breathe because you're not actually closing off your airway. Oh. Oh, oh, I see. It's already becoming popular in the saxophone community, and of course, that, that's the first step. You know, yeah. saxophonists, the saxophonists, the are, they're the real trailblazers. But yeah, when you right. did the when you did the doodle tonguing thing, it reminded me of, of in SpongeBob when Patrick does like the little little That's like literally what it is. It is that. It is Patrick doing that, except you put an instrument in his mouth. Yeah, one hundred percent. Except you can play like Paganini 5 that way, you know. (laughs) Okay, well, that was a big uh, clarinet tangent, but hopefully someone finds it interesting, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that does it for today's episode, so thank you for listening. Please take the time to rate and review and follow us on uh, iTunes or on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out. 
Also, you can connect with us at Drop Haystack on Twitter and at Drop the Needle in the Haystack on Facebook and Instagram. Eric! Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Torrey!